This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. 16 years from today, Greg Gerstner will finally land the perfect cannonball. Epic splash. Unsuspecting friends. A work of art only possible because Greg is already meeting all these same people at AARP volunteer and community events that keep him active and involved and help make sure his happiness lives as long as he does. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash local. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hello, I'm Oliver Condit, the editor of BBC Music Magazine, and welcome to the BBC Music Podcast. You can buy a copy of the magazine at your local newsagents or download our app to your iPad, Kindle Fire or Android tablet. And for the latest music news and more, head to our website at classical-music.com. This week, we've gathered together members of the BBC Music Magazine team for First Listen, a monthly slot where members of the magazine editorial team chat about and rate an important new release. With me in the BBC Music studio today are Jeremy Pound, the deputy editor, Rebecca Franks, our reviews editor, and Rosie Pentreath, our online editor and staff writer. Hello. Hello. This month, we've been listening to a recording on the Delphian label by pianist Peter Hill of works for solo piano by Messiaen and other 20th century composers. Entitled La Fauvet, Passerinette, a Messiaen premiere with birds, landscapes and homages. It features the world premiere recording of a new work discovered by Peter Hill only a couple of years ago. So before we discuss this new disc, let's hear an extract from this world premiere, the Fauvet Passerinette itself, otherwise known as a subalpine warbler. Thank you. 
So that was an extract from La Fauvette Passerinette, Rebecca, the subalpine warbler. Um, was this a piece that uh, was a fortuitous discovery or one that should have remained hidden, do you think? <laughs> well, I think that's one of the remarkable things about this uh, premiere. It's not just, you know, for the sake of filling in gaps in the catalogue. I think this is actually a very worthwhile piece of music. Um, and as Peter Hill, the pianist, describes uh, in the, the booklet notes, it actually bring something new to what we know about Messiaen and, and Birdsong and how he treated this um, sort of inspirational resource. Um, here, he's actually really working very closely with the, the songs of the birds for the first time, so it's not just about the landscape of um, where the birds are, but really uh, taking the kind of the musical material of the Birdsong, and that's what yes, he's doing here. one of some of the other pieces on the disc, including Le Traque Stapazang, very much evokes the landscape. It's very much the Birdsong in context. Um, but this is this is, as you say, purely birdsong. This is a chance for us to really sort of hear the rhythms and the nuances and the and the variety of the birdsong itself. And I love Rosie that sort of flourish at the end of the work mm, that sort of yeah. tells off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I agree with Rebecca. I think um, you're kind of hearing Messian just really consolidate what he's learned by studying the birds for so long. I mean, the first piece that he that he focused on birds specifically was Le Mal Noir in 1952, I think, for the flute. He was asked to do a study piece. Um, and as a flautist, I studied that, and it's really remarkable how he gets the birds' language across. But like Rebecca says, that, that has some passages of landscape, whereas here he's really honing in, honing in on the song itself. And mm. it sort of feels almost confrontational and conversational, doesn't it? You can really imagine the chatter of the bird. Yeah. So why did he abandon it, though? Because uh, Peter Hill kind of... Uh, hypothesizes that maybe it was going to be the beginning of a second catalogue d'oiseau, which, as you say, will study much closer well, the bird noises. He didn't. So he did didn't he I, I think Messier didn't write much in 1961 for some reason. I think, as you say, yeah. he was probably in the middle of contemplating this new sort of chapter, as Rebecca also says, mm-hmm. of basically concentrating on the bird song. And I suppose composers' works get lost, they get put aside, they yeah, get completed. Yeah, in the notes, you suggest that there were big orchestral pieces came up and things like that. And I suppose he wasn't a, a pianist, he was an organist, wasn't he, Messier? primarily so perhaps you know there, there was that as well he'd done done that big piano work and, and you can he hear some of the, do you, that again you, and you can actually hear sort of organ textures in almost like harmonics which he would have got presumably from ts and mixtures on on the organ that I'm, yeah up. i'm sure you're right but i just kind of think that because it was such a obviously a new step in, in a very new direction i'm surprised he didn't make more of it at the time that it did get so kind of left behind and he didn't return to it at a later date after he'd kind of completed one or two other commissions do you think he means that um that perhaps he didn't think it was as worthwhile as we're suggesting or <laughs> I don't like to put thoughts in you know in the composer's mind after they've after they've long gone I we don't, simply don't know I'm just thinking it's an interesting question Mm. I think it's um, also a fascinating program. This uh, uh, Peter Hill has really put together something intriguing. All the composers are either connected to Messiaen in some way, or um, were inspired by the work. And it's fascinating to see both what came before Messiaen with the Ravel. I think we should just hear L'Oiseau Triste, um, but also um, what, what came after, the, the, the amount of music, that, the, the, the way that Messiaen changed the musical landscape is fascinating. So let's hear a bit from um, Maurice Ravel's L'Oiseau Triste.
Jeremy, what did you think of the rest of the programme on the disc, the, the way that it was sort of put together and compiled? I think it's an excellent programme. <clears throat> What's really interesting is actually it's one of those discs where you can hear little kind of motifs reappearing or little ideas reappearing in different composers. And actually that example from the Ravel there is a fascinating one to take. So you listen to the very beginning of the Ravel and then the very beginning of the George Benjamin work, the fantasy on iambic rhythm, they got an extremely similar start to each other. And although there was Messiaen in between the two composers, I suspect that Benjamin must be very must have had Ravel's work very much in his mind when he actually wrote his work, because the they're uncannily similar, the two the two beginnings of the works. Um for me the the Benjamin actually is possibly the highlight of the whole disc. I think it's a very sort of interesting centre work and it's placed right in the centre of the programme. And it is a fascinating journey in time, a lot of this, actually. As you say, going from Ravel right through to composers mm. of the present and day. More, but what fascinates me as well, Rosie, I, I think, as I'm sure you'll agree from having studied some Messiaen, is the way that it appears to be barless but is yeah. meticulously uh, notated and meticulous, the rhythms are meticulously written out. Yeah, absolutely. It feels It's very spontaneous. It feels very spontaneous. Yeah, it's so measured, it's so careful and, so, yeah, meticulously thought out. And I think that kind of influence, as Jeremy said, has, has gone through the other composers' works. Mm. Um, there's some really exquisite things in here. I really like the Skullthorpe, for example. I think that's a lovely one. Yeah, I love some of the, the sort of smaller pieces by the, the less obvious composers, but, you know, from They're... from France to Australia, and yet yeah. we have this wonderful miniature that is so well, evocative. There's, there's the four or five style. works which are, are very impressionistic, aren't there? There's Ravel, the Takamitsu, the Skullthorpe is another. What's interesting about the Skullthorpe is that there was recently released a disc um, on ABC label um, which has had all of Skullthorpe's work going right from... 1950s to just before he died and the early stuff is very very similar to Ravel and Debussy and this one here is actually it's on the almost like on the crux of his development where you can still hear the elements of say I'd say Debussy and yet you can also hear him evoking the Australian landscape which becomes more and more important as he as he developed as a composer and it's interesting again I think Peter Hill picked up the influence of Gamelan on Skullthorpe and the other Australian composer um, on this disc, Douglas Young, and that's another connection actually back to the French musical world, with you know mm, Debussy yeah. hearing the gamelan at the um, and it's the and it's fasc- and, exhibition. And it's fascinating as much Peter Hill mentions in the program that the Messiaen was very very um, concerned that his pupils, such as George Benjamin, um, didn't copy his style at all. It was absolutely frowned upon. So what you hear is music that is clearly inspired by Messiaen, but music that's very much removed from Messiaen. So there's a real sort of branching. Out of styles on this, you know, uh, very much from the Stockhausen who who did study with Messier. Um, I, yeah, I really like the um, Julian Anderson as well, the the first etude, which again is a very short piece, but it just starts off and it's sort of as if hands are jostling for room as interlocking thing, and then broadens out, and then it's a scale that just scurries off the keyboard, and you just it's just very concise and compact. So let's hear an extract from Julian Anderson's etude number one, uh, followed by an extract from Peter Sculthorpe's Stars.
So that was an extract, first of all, from Julian Anderson's um, Etude Number no. 1. Julian Anderson, actually born in only 1967, so a remarkable talent. Uh, and also um, from Peter Sculthorpe's his stars, Peter Sculthorpe, only having just died back in the summer. A very sad loss to music. Um, the playing is extraordinary, isn't it, Rosie? I mean, it really mm, is. Yeah. I, I think he, he really evokes... Um, so much from from 80, the 88 keys of the piano. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, everything just feels magical. It's this kind of magical world you enter as soon as you put the disc on, wherever you stop it. You know, you can take in a couple of these miniatures or you can take in everything, and his playing is just superb. He just really knows Messian, and he really cares about Messian. Um, I think that really shows... Uh, he writes about the last piece, piece which is a, just a... a a, a, a teaching piece, Messian. He writes about it that it's just absolutely exquisite, really. He says, It's characteristic of Messian that music for a mundane purpose, like teaching, should be so profound and perfect as anything he ever wrote. So I think that comes through in his playing, how much he loves Messian. And I like the fact that he is obviously a, a world expert in Messian. He's written about him and he's mm. recorded all the piano works. He's one of those really kind of engaging and intelligent performers, really sort of uplifting somehow there's a real joy in everything he does and everything is so thoughtful and so musical and, and you can guarantee he would have been absolutely obsessed with the detail because as he says again in his program that is messy i was very much obsessed with everything being a hundred percent correct um so i think he would have gone over it with a very fine tooth comb you know this very complex music you know it would have is exquisitely played it is exquisitely played. If I've got one tiny little fault I'd find with the programme is that I'm having the Stockhausen and the Benjamin together, which are the, probably the two hardest works to get to grips with on the programme, separated only by a tiny little etude by Julian Anderson, was actually made the centre of the disc quite a big ask to actually listen to. And you feel maybe he could have broken it up with one of the other works in between. It's kind yeah, of, it's interesting. He kind of... Because they've, they've divided the programme, actually, into prelude, etude... Birds and Landscapes, Memorial and Postlude, which are separate headings for all the pieces. And I think, yeah, this middle one just is all the serial stuff suddenly. Um, so you do get a rather large chunk of serialism that you've got to mm. confront. So before we present our scores, I think we should hear uh, another extract from this wonderful disc. Um, well, I think it's wonderful. We'll hear what everyone else thinks in a minute. Um, but uh, I think we should hear an extract from Toru Takamitsu's Rain Tree Sketch. And perhaps quickly an extract from the Postlude piece, The End. Uh, work. Olivier Messiaen's Mosso de Lecture à Vous, which is a piece uh, as a sight reading test, which he set in 1934. I'm just hoping that Peter Hill sight read it when he recorded it.
That was an extract from Toru Takamitsu's Rain Tree Sketch 2 and Olivier Messiaen's Morceau de Lecture à Vous. Jeremy, what are you going to give this out of 10? I enjoyed the playing hugely. I thought it was a beautifully programmed disc. I could have done without the Stockhausen Klavierstücke 7 and 8, which I thought were wretched pieces of music. But in general, I will give it 8 out of 10. Rosie? I'm going to go for an 8 as well. Uh, the playing was exquisite and it was a fantastic programme. Um, I'm just being a little bit coy, just in case you don't want to hear a massive set of you know, impressionistic, some serial and some spectral works, if that's not your cup of tea, but it's fantastic. Rebecca? I would like to give this 9 out of 10. I really love the playing and there are so many musical discoveries here. Um, it's not just a, a premiere, there is so much more to, to enjoy. So um, a real highlight of recent listening for me. And uh, I'm going to join you, Rebecca, and give it nine. Um, I adored the programme. In fact, it's growing on me each time I, I play the disc. Um, I know what you mean, Jeremy, and you, Rosie, mean when you feel that some of the programme is quite challenging. But um, I think with repeated listening, it really is opening up for me. So uh, the playing is exquisite. The programme is very imaginative um, and very moving in ways, actually, I think. Um, so nine out of ten for me, which gives uh, an average, I do believe, of eight and a half. So that brings us to the end of this month's first listen. Do join us next month when we'll be getting together once again to discuss another major new recording. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes. <laughs>